Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad that you have joined us today. It is the day after Election Day, the day that we sort through all the ballots and the results and decide what we told ourselves about ourselves. What did we say about the state of Michigan? What did we say about the country in which we live? And how are we going to go forward and govern? We're going to spend all hour today talking about yesterday's balloting and the results. We'll talk about the state results as well as the national results. We of course, want to hear from you all hour as well. The phones are open at 313-577-1019. Tell us what you take away from the results from yesterday. What are you thinking this morning, today, the day after about our chance to maybe come together and solve some problems? Or do you think we split further apart and that we're going to see still more gridlock and rancor coming from Lansing and Washington. Uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. And here to kick off the analysis of what happened yesterday with me is my old friend Debbie Dingle. She is a Democratic member of Congress from Dearborn. She represents the 12th Congressional District here in Michigan. Debbie, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to everybody out there listening, and I hope some people got some sleep. I was going to say, I got a couple hours. I know you got none, and you never do on election night, so uh, that seems uh, par for the course. Let's start with your general reactions to what we saw yesterday. What was most interesting? What was the good, and what was the bad? So I think the American people sent us a message again that. Uh, they're concerned about the direction of the country, the tart of the partisan bickering. And I think that if either side, the American people want to have won in yesterday's election, to be perfectly frank, there's going to be a divided house. You know, our forefathers designed our form of government so there would be a system of checks and balances. We need to have that system of checks and balances. But I think people want to see us start working on problems instead of obstruction. And that neither party is going to be in good shape when we go into 2020, including the presidential, unless we start solving some problems. So how do you do that, though? Let's start in Washington, where you are a member of the House of Representatives. The leadership will change in January in the House from Republican to Democratic. It will not change in the Senate, where Republicans still have control and, in fact, will have a few more seats, more seats. than they had uh, yesterday, um, how does how does that work? You still have a president who seems very dug in on his side of things and very committed to vilifying everybody on the other side. Can you govern with uh, with with the split being the way it's going to be in January? You can govern if people want to govern. You can govern if people want to get something done. I think that if you look at the exit polling, you look at what people were saying yesterday. They're clearly concerned about. The division uh, that's happening of this country of people trying to divide us with fear and hatred. So I think that message came through. I think one of the loudest messages of yesterday, as you talked to people and looked at various people, various different outlets did exit polling, people are worried about health care. That was the number one issue. Uh, it was all close to 50 percent in a couple of the polls. And 
they are tired with something that's very personal with them of being a political football between two parties. They're worried about pre-existing conditions. I think this president has a difficult time saying we're always going to take care of pre-existing conditions when his attorney general is suing to not protect pre-existing conditions. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of an odd rhetorical conflict uh, going but on. Every candidate heard about that. They're worried about escal- escalating premium costs, higher deductibles, and they can't afford the medicine. And they're going to hold every last one of us. They are looking at none of us as Republicans and Democrats. They're saying we're scared. If we get sick, we need to be able to afford the doctor and be able to get the medicine we need. Yeah. Uh, Big picture here. We were talking about the possibility of a blue wave. We were talking about the possibility of a pink wave that would change the face of government here in Michigan, that would change the face of government nationally. We saw some of those things happen. We saw other of those things fall just a bit short. But talk about the firsts for women that we saw. So I think we did see the pink wave, yeah. and I think that having more women in government is going to. Uh, there is a different way that women, but Republicans and Democrats approach problems. Uh, you know, we're we are multitaskers. We're problem solvers. We've got to, we, in the way that we've been brought up, we've got to keep we're task solvers we have to keep a number of balls in the air and we try to figure out we're not interested in fighting as much as we are okay here's a problem how are we going to get it done and i do just think that bringing that different perspective to the public policy arena is going to help try to find solutions i think there needs to be more listening and more trying to find common ground than this test run fighting, I'm not going to agree with you on anything. And I think, quite frankly, having more women in the room is going to address, it's going to help. It's going to bring a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, What about the ways in which Democrats who were hoping to make this election a sign or a message to the president and his supporters that we're not going to go that direction, we're not going to go this very divisive path toward uh, really just getting at each other over and over again in in really personal and insulting ways. Democrats in some key states came up short in ways that suggested "Mm, maybe that's there. Maybe there are more people who are in favor of what this president does than we might have suspected. What did you take away from that? Well, as you know, I hated the discussion of the blue wave because I thought it put carts before horses and it wasn't a good description (laughs) of what was happening and uh, But you can't ignore the fact that Democrats took the House back, and there were a lot of Republicans that lost their lost elections their over some of this divisiveness. And many of these Senate races were close, but these candidates did not win. But you can't overread into that. I think this president cannot walk away and not know that there are people really concerned about the tone um, in this country. Uh, and I do— it, I, I'm, what I'm hoping is, is that all of us can work together to change the tone. Um, and d- Democrats cannot become confident, nor is this a monolithic class sure. that got elected. That's one of the things. Just look at this, the difference of the candidates from Michigan, which, quite frankly, are reflective of the larger class that got elected. You have Rashida Tlaib, who will be the first Muslim woman who is a progressive candidate, and Alexandria from New York, and she and several others will be part of that very loud progressive group, and they really fight and care. 
But Haley Stevens is a very middle-of-the-roader. She's focused on jobs. She's focused on manufacturing. And Alyssa Slotkin uh, is a CIA analyst, a defense. Military She's worked Democrat, for right? Military Democrat, worked for Republican, a Democrat. By the way, the, those three different sort of reflect what's happened. We had a number of military veterans elected. We have a lot of what are some labeled new Democrats, but are very middle of the road. And we've got a lot of progressives. And within the Democratic Party, all of us have to figure out how we're going to work together to get something done to deliver for the people we represent. Yeah. I want to come back to that question of leadership in the Democratic Party and in the House of Representatives in particular in a minute. But but I want to follow up on that last uh, question. So So what we saw last night in a lot of instances was Democrats beating Republicans in districts where you know there's a little play in the joints, where there was the that were closer uh, than than the Jerry the the ultra gerrymandered districts that we have in some cases, and so as a result, what you're missing now are Republicans who, for the most part, were a little more uh, in, in the center, a little more centrist than the others in in places where uh, we saw uh, uh, Trump supporters win. Um, what we saw was what we what we see is a more extreme iteration, right, of of the Republican Party, and so you're in in a way we're kind of slicing off that uh, that center left part of the Republican Party, and it may be more difficult than to deal with who's left in in Washington, for example. So the House could be more bitterly divided, even though Democrats have control. Does that does So that I think it becomes a little more complicated than that. It's not as simple. I mean, just again, let's we're in Michigan. Let's take Michigan. Mm-hmm. Fred Upton had a very close race. Many almost, people thought uh, he was going to lose. He is somebody who works in the middle, and I think got a message last night from the people of his district that they would like to see him do a little more, a little less caving when everybody pressures him on uh, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Jack Berkman, who tends to be um, uh, more of a moderate at times, mm-hmm. had a, a strong push from uh, the Norman Plessy. He's still there. And uh, so I actually think that, but David Bratt, who's a member of the Tea Party, one of the most <laughs> well-known and lost his election. So some of the conservatives lost. Uh, Pete said, and what is sort of stunning is the number of senior leadership in the Republican Party committee chairs who lost who their, lost their races last night. And none of the, uh, so I think you've got to be very careful to not overread trends and patterns and d- because there were people all over the place. It was a weird night. Hmm. I mean, I think it shows that each district is different and they need to represent the people that they represent and they're going to be held more accountable but i still think i strongly think there's a lot of people in america that just want to see people work together that we've got problems in this country and we need to stop fighting and start fixing my guest is debbie dingle the democratic member of congress from dearborn michigan's 12th congressional district we are talking about the fallout from election day the results that show democrats taking over almost all of state government here in michigan after having been locked out of state government for a very long time democrats will also take control of the house of representatives in washington for the first time since 
2010. I think I'm right uh, on that date. Uh, what do you take away from the results yesterday? What is the thing that uh, you're thinking about as we wake up and try to go forward in a way that we can actually govern ourselves maybe a little better, maybe get along a little better than we have? Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, uh, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Before we get to the phones, and we've got some folks uh, already who want to who wanna chime in, uh, I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi, uh, who I know is someone you know very, very well. Uh, and the, the, the calls already from some new members of the House saying, it's time for a change in leadership. What's your what's your reaction to that? I think there'll be a lot of discussion when we get back to Washington that all of the leadership is going to the current leadership, which I would say is Nancy Pelosi, Denny Harrier, and Jim Clyburn, is going to have to start to put in a transition plan. Uh, but Democrats can't afford huge fights among themselves. If I had to predict, those three will be reelected to top positions, but you will see a number of contested races for assistant leadership positions, Democratic caucus chair, and all three are going to have to acknowledge it is transition time and that a new that new leadership needs to, younger leadership needs to become engaged, and they are going to have to engage and use the members of the caucus in much stronger ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313 577 1019. Let's go to Linda in Detroit. Linda, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, I'm calling to actually disagree with the Congresswoman. Respectfully, I actually voted for you, but thank you. I, I, um, I actually think, you know, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be divisive, but I actually think that I didn't vote with the goal of Democrats going to Congress and, um, and working with the Republicans, I voted for obstruction. I voted for obstruction of the Trump agenda. I voted for obstruction <laughs> of the extreme white um, agenda that they're pushing, the white supremacist agenda. Well, I agree pushing. with that. We need to stand <laughs> up and be strong. So let me just say this. You were a firewall uh, voter, uh, Linda. <laughs> we got to be a firewall. We have to be, uh, you know, the, our, our forefathers designed this system of checks and balances, and we better be a check on hatred, violence, splitting us. Uh, uh, of uh, the Senate's going to have a hard time still um, being a check on uh, judicial nominations. I'm not. Uh, listen, you know, uh, uh, if you know me, you know that I'm like the loudest person. I'm a buzzsaw. <laughs> if you, they're doing anything that is despicable, hatred, bullying, you stand up to bullies and you bully back. But I also think the American people don't want us to get nothing done for two years. I think they are really worried about their roads and bridges. And I, you just can't, I mean, just taking John to the doctor is a town hall meeting. People are scared about their health care. Mm -hmm. They are really having problems. And we can't do nothing about that for two years. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a real danger, of course, whenever there's a change in, in leadership in Washington or in Lansing, that uh, the party that gets control you know, doesn't doesn't think about delivering before that next election. And you can always see things go back. I mean, it, it, it happens more frequently now than it used to. And Democrats are going to have to figure out a way to get some things done to, to make the case to voters in just two years. 
Uh, Linda, again, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Madonna in Auburn Hills. Madonna, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I want, I want to tell you I have four children. I have three sons who live in Michigan and a daughter in Milwaukee. Last night, yesterday, two of my sons voted for the first time in their lives because they want to change. And I woke up this morning to a text that my youngest son, who lives in Lansing, he's 26 years old, said to me, and this is the last part of it. He says, so many great women kicked ass tonight. Sorry about that. For Michigan. <laughs> I love it. I, he said, I'm so proud to have you as my mom and to be here to witness women take control and rightfully so. For too long, we've been on a path of division and exclusion. Women are the solution to make this state, our country, and the world a better place. Hmm. Uh, thanks very much for uh, the call and the question and the comments, Madonna. That's a, a really, I think, a really common feeling that people are having today. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of joy about uh, about what happened. Gave me the chills. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Debbie Dingle, uh, Congresswoman from the 12th District here in Michigan. It is always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Yeah. And. We'll keep talking. Yes, we will have you and back. And thank you of to everybody who voted yesterday. That's right. You were on democracy, the ballot as well. Democracy, but not just for me. Democracy thrives when people engage. Yeah. And you talk about the voter turnouts here in Michigan. Unbelievable numbers. Really yep. great for everybody. All right. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about election revolts, results, this time with a Republican from the state Senate. Phil Pavlo, Republican state senator from St. Clair, is here next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. It is the day after Election Day. We sort of sit down and parse over the results and the trends and talk about what is next. Can we govern ourselves a little better here in the state of Michigan? Can we govern ourselves a little better at the national level? And can our politics return to just a little more civil tone? Can we have disagreements, passionate disagreements about politics and policy without the unbelievable insults and uh, fear-mongering that we have seen, especially from the President of the United States over the next two years. Uh, Did we elect people who will be able to effectively push back against that culture? Uh, As always, we want to hear from you this hour, talk to us about your election day. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, go to the Facebook page here at WDET and put comments there. We'll try to work them in. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you in. Uh, joining us now to talk a little more about yesterday and the results is someone who was not on the ballot Yesterday, for the first time in a long time, Phil Pavlo is the Republican state senator right now from St. Clair. He was term limited, and so he did not have to campaign or 
put himself up before voters yesterday, but he's here to tell us about the results. Phil, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thanks for inviting me down this morning. Yes. What a day, huh? Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> how does that feel that you did not have to be on the ballot this time? Oh, it's the first great. time since what year? And since 2002. Wow. So I was on the couch instead years. of the ballot. <laughs> and uh, it was very comfortable from my it's perch. It's always a little better, right? <laughs> but you know what? You can't ever get this out of your blood. I mean, I went and voted at 7 a.m. in you? my township <laughs> and to see the people coming out to exercise their rights and to you know, to move our republic forward, it's a it's an incredible process, and yeah. we're left today to kind of dissect the the results. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't a big day for Republicans in our statewide offices. In fact, we sort of got wire brushed. But uh, I think, from my perspective, you know, we held the Senate, the Michigan Senate. And we also held the uh, Michigan House, so we'll be able to hold um, Governor-elect Gretchen Whitmer to her. Um, pledge to work across the aisle because that's the way it has to happen. Yeah. So, so I was having a conversation with someone who is really familiar with campaigns and governing here in the state of Michigan earlier this this morning, and this person described Whitmer's campaign as being somewhat similar to the campaign that Rick Snyder ran in 2010, focusing on solutions. Uh, focusing on the idea of problem solving as opposed to politics, uh, this idea that you can bring people together uh, to do things. Rick Snyder didn't really have to do that because uh, Republicans won everything when when he won the governorship in 2010. Gretchen Whitmer will really have to put that to the test, though, because she will not have control, her party will not have control of either chamber of the legislature uh, this is a chamber, this is a legislature that you are now leaving and you've been there uh, quite a while. Tell me how you think that can work and what things you think she's got to do to be able to come up with actual, you know, uh, uh, legislation that moves us forward in the state with with two Republican chambers. Well, there's another election going on today in both the House and the Senate, and that is the new members are selecting their leadership. Leadership, sure. And that is going to be the key. Um, what will happen is, and Gretchen is very familiar with the legislative process, uh, she understands what that leadership role is, and she understands how to move things. So the relationship that comes out at the beginning of the year is really going to be uh, telling of what the next two to four years is going to look like. Um, you know, I'm confident in, you know, who's ever going to come out of the leadership race. We think we understand who that is, but that's really going to be where everything happens. And, you know, going forward, you know, there's going to be times when Republicans are going to be required, um, to compromise and compromise is not a bad word. It's just sometimes we become too principled. But I think if one thing, um, message was sent from the voters, at least in the state of Michigan on their statewide is that, um, they're expecting a little bit more out of them of Republicans. So, uh, if you listen to the voters, which you should, if you want to stay in this job, um, you're going to have to you're going to have to move to something a little bit more, um, should I say, sane. Hmm. Uh, so, so a lot of the time that Governor Jennifer Granholm was in office, we saw the legislature play a, a pretty unproductive role, in my view, of just trying to nullify the things that she did, as opposed to sitting down and saying, well, how do we figure this out in a way that we can all agree that at least uh, it's it's an accomplishment and we're, we're moving forward? Uh, what would be different or what would have to be different uh, 
well, this time I, to to do that. Yeah, it's personality driven. It really is. I mean, let's not get away from that. My first term in the House, we had control of the House and Senate, and Governor Granholm was our governor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I understand what majority minority looks like. We've served on both sides of that equation, but it's really personality driven. And if and if our leaders are going to uh, fully grasp the challenges, and there will be big issues coming in front of this state. There's no question about um, the direction where we're headed. You're going to have to really get in a room and figure this out. And look, we're only we're, the the 2020 presidential election starts this morning. Yeah, I was going to say we got a couple hours. I think you know, before but, we but here's there. the thing: you mentioned you know Governor Granholm. She was coming in after 12 years of John Engler. Uh, Rick Snyder came in after eight years, so I. It's tough to carry that that mantle of party leadership through you know three election cycles, and when you look at the results, I mean we were sent a pretty uh, stern message statewide. Yeah, uh, again three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. If you want to join the conversation, tell us what your takeaways are from yesterday's midterm elections. Let's go to Robert in Birmingham. Robert, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, the reason that uh, Republicans, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, hold uh, the control of the state Senate and the state House is because of the rampant ger- gerrymandering that has been going on in the state. Um, I believe that there's going to be a, a big push to get all those districts redrawn in the next two years. And in 2020, we will see uh, a lot fairer process. And a lot better process once all the districts are redrawn. And uh, we'll see this state move rapidly forward after the 2020 uh, election for sure. Robert, I appreciate the call and the comments. I'm uh, somebody else who is uh, pretty excited about the idea of Prop 2. But uh, you're a little ahead of yourself there in terms of the timetable. They're not going to redraw the districts until after 2020. We do that every 10 years after the census. But uh, you're right that it will look different. Uh, it will look very different. The process will look completely different. And I believe that the outcome will be different. Uh, Phil, what do you take away from the idea of that change, which I think is pretty fundamental to the way we do things in government here? Uh, well, it will be. But, uh, you know, ask the candidates that were running for Congress in Oakland County yesterday, um, you know, Congressman Mike Bishop, uh, if you are a firm believer that these districts um, are strong enough to elect anyone, I think you're mistaken. I think when you have good candidates, I mean, you you can't control it with a map. But regardless, there still will be new districts. Um, I And I've been a firm believer my and we, entire— And we will probably lose another seat. We will lose a seat in Congress. Census. And yeah. yeah, and I mean, that's a function of Michigan's, uh, you know, population exodus and growth right. in other parts of the country. But— yeah. Um, you know, you can only be uh, so clever and creative in drawing these maps. And the process has been inflated, in my opinion, over the last several months during the election. But Republicans win in Democratic seats and Democrats win in Republican seats. And, and it really comes down to the candidate and how that candidate connects with the people that live in those districts. And, you know, to Robert's point, watch very closely uh, because there will be a new process in place. And if it comes out fair and objective, it's going to put even more emphasis on quality candidates where parties are really going to have to step up their recruiting efforts. Well, I think one of the biggest anticipated changes is this uh, the, the, the end of this disconnect where you have such a, an advantage in votes 
on the Democratic side, but you have an advantage in representation on the Republican side. It is 9-4 right now. It will go to 7-6, I guess, uh, assuming that all of the results hold up from yesterday. But but Democrats outvote Republicans in legislative and congressional races uh, quite heavily. And hopefully, I think, uh, the the backers of Prop 2, I think, are thinking – that will be more in line, that you can draw a map that is a little more representative of what voters actually want. Well, I think you can. And I mean, there's a thousand ways to divvy the the pies up. And um, so who's going to be in charge of that process, how it's going to unfold? It'll be Michigan's first run at it. And it's going to require a whole lot of scrutiny, a whole lot of oversight. But I I think the important thing is, is that we get it right. It is the new reality in the state of Michigan. Uh, for better or for worse, we've lived under Democrat maps, Republican maps, and uh, now we're going to live under a bipartisan neutral map, and yeah. we'll see what that looks It'll be, like. I think it's going to be one of the more fascinating things to watch unfold uh, in, in state government. Robert, thanks very much for the call uh, and the uh, and the, the, the comments. Uh, Phil, I want to ask you about the other two proposals that were on the ballot yesterday, one legalizing marijuana, the other... Uh, putting some voter access provisions into the Constitution. Uh, I, I was not surprised to see either of them pass. I'm a little apprehensive about what Prop 1 will do or how that will look uh, in the immediate future and, and down the road. What's your reaction to those? Well, things? I mean, I would have, I've, I did vote against all three of those proposals. Oh, you and, did? Yeah. And, and all, each of them are equally dangerous in their own way. I think the, the Prop 1 issue, I mean, if, if, if we haven't, acknowledge that we have a drug problem in this country, um, let alone making easier access to what many would call a gateway drug, and I do too. Uh, I I don't see how that benefits the state. I've been working with our local law enforcement in St. Clair County um, on drug driving for probably three or four years. And, you know, it's not as easy to diagnose drug driving versus drunk driving. And it puts a massive... um, responsibility and backload on our state police laboratories to test these, uh, the amount of time uh, that we have to wait for these testings to come back, um, you're essentially going to have all kinds of new challenges on the roadway, the same roadway you travel and my family and your family, um, let alone the crime and the, you know, this ability of dealing with a massive cash business. Um, you know, but the voters made a decision. I was going to say, I mean, this seems to be one of those issues that has moved really significantly in popularity over a short period of time. I don't think you could have gotten something like this passed in the last decade, for instance. No, and it was a decade, though. In 2008, when medical marijuana was on the ballot, that was the beginning. And we always say the, you know, the camel's nose under the tent. That's what it was. And then there just became this acceptance and West Coast states decided that they were going to do it, Colorado, uh, you know, so California. And so you start to see um, kind of the softening on that issue. But but to suggest that, you know, you're going to be able to carry around two and a half ounces of marijuana, um, <laughs> it just it, it creates all kinds of challenges to law enforcement, to our judicial system, and to the legislature, quite frankly, because at some point, 75% of the legislature is going to have to agree, and this is where – the new governor and the Republican leaders are going to have to sit down and try to put a ring fence around what's happening inside this new reality of recreational marijuana. 
because it's going to impact our communities, our schools, our health care, our roads and our safety and our insurance in ways that we haven't been able to even wrap our mind around yet. Mm. Uh, I, I want to ask you about uh, the party that uh, that you're a member of and, and represent in the legislature. Uh, yesterday we saw an, inor- an, an incredible number of women win races around the country. And the vast majority of those women were Democrats. Uh, do, do you feel like the Republican Party has some work to do or some changes to make in terms of reflecting this change in the electorate, in the what, in, in what people are looking for, in people who represent them? I mean, is that something that, that ultimately could catch up and really bite Republicans? Uh, I don't. I would disagree with the premise that it's a Republican issue and lack of women. I think overall, we've always worked to encourage more women into the process. You know, but in the Michigan Senate, I served with only four women in the last term. This year, we may have as many as seven. But you look at Oakland County, we had, um, you know, Lena Epstein was on the ballot. There's, um, you know, she built up an enormous amount of support, but another woman ended up winning that race. I don't think you can break it down, but by, by party affiliation, other than the fact that we need more women serving, and not just in our, you know, our statewide offices, you know, you're going to have a secretary of state and I'm still not certain on the attorney general, but it looks like you're going to have a female there and a female governor. That's a trifecta. And look, I mean, the more women that participate, the more women will be sitting in those seats. And it's not a male dominated uh, industry anymore. Okay, Phil Pavlo, Republican state senator from St. Clair, just for a couple more weeks, really, before you go back to civilian life. Uh, It was really great to have you here, though, to analyze yesterday's election. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Appreciate the invitation. All right, up next, we're going to continue our conversation about election results now with Dan Kildee, who's a Democratic member of Congress from Flint Township. He represents the 5th Congressional District in Washington. Uh, Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Derek in Detroit, Justin in Detroit, Al in Detroit, Phil in Royal Oak, and Tom in Northwest Detroit. We will get to you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining us. My next guest is Dan Kildee, Democratic member of Congress from Flint Township, 5th Congressional District here in Michigan. Uh, He was also on the ballot yesterday, and he's here to talk about all of the things that we saw and where we go from here. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. First, congratulations. Thank you much. is, Is this your... Fourth term? Fourth term. See, look at that. I got that right. I know. I, it's, it, you know, after a while, you kind of forget how long someone has been serving in uh, in, in Congress. But, yeah. uh, but four terms, so eight years. This will be your uh, uh, yeah, seventh and eighth years. Yeah, finishing sixth year. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's gone quickly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. L- let's start with your general reactions to what yeah. happened yesterday. The good, the bad, in, in your view. Well, obviously the good. Um we elected a Democratic governor. We elected a Democratic Secretary of State, uh, Attorney General. That's big. That's well, really if you think about Michigan. it, on Tuesday morning, Republicans in this state controlled every branch right. of state government and at every level. Today, they control 
the House of Representatives and the Senate and the Supreme Court, but nothing else. Yeah, and in the House and the Senate with smaller majorities. Smaller, smaller majorities. And a governor right. with uh, the ability to execute policy, uh, an attorney general that she'll be able to work with, and a veto pen. Yeah. And that's important. And then, of course, the very big news for many of us is that uh, you know the U.S. House of Representatives, for the first time in a dozen years, is going to be under the control of Democrats, mm-hmm. and that's huge. And that will be the first time that you serve as part of the majority, the majority. In, in, in Washington. Talk to me about that shift. How can Democrats, even though they have control of the House, how can they make that an effective tool for governing when they don't control the Senate, and when, of course, the the president is a Republican, I think we have to focus on getting things done. And you know, I've been saying this for a while. We used it very much as a message with candidates that we were recruiting. Here's the thing: we have to decide, and I hope the decision is the right one. If we want to be a party that takes positions, or a party that gets things done for the people that we profess to care about, and I think very often people in this line of work on you know across the spectrum are satisfied to congratulate themselves for their righteousness Hmm. and take positions that are, you know, obviously something they can defend that are ideological in nature, maybe even support policy that makes sense, but will never get done. And then yell and scream about the fact that the people on the other side won't play ball. You know, I get it. That's one way to do it. The other way is to actually just try to get things done for the people that we care about. And that means compromising. That means negotiating. That means governing. I think the biggest mistake we could make as a party and as a Congress is to miss that message and to somehow decide that we're going to be to the Republicans the same thing that we criticize them for being Uh, when it came to dealing with us. I think that is a really important point. And I think that points absolutely to the difficulty that uh, that presents itself to Democrats. You have seen Republicans, especially in Washington over the last decade in particular, really dig in and say that our goal is to thwart the other side. Uh, You have the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell saying that was his goal uh, when Barack Obama was, was president. And I don't think a lot of Democrats would blame you uh, in Washington if you, you know, turnabout is fair play. But, you know, the question is whether, A, that gets us anywhere in terms of governing, but it also, I think, raises the specter of how long can you maintain that majority? People are looking for solutions and they may be really angry if Democrats just dig in and don't get something done. I think it's. I think that's exactly right. I think it's really dangerous to treat this as uh, a sort of board game where somebody's keeping score. Uh, the score doesn't matter. It's about whether or not we get something done. And we, you know, we like you said, we could some Democrats, maybe some of us, could justify doing to the Republicans what they did to us. Th- this was the most closed Congress in the history of Congress. It's a process thing. A lot of people, not, not a lot of people, understand what we mean when we say that. Here's what it is. They shut us down. Yes. They did not allow us to offer thoughtful amendments on legislation. Uh, It was the most closed Congress, the most so-called closed rules, which allows no amendments when legislation comes to the floor in the history of Congress, which says to me 
that they were not confident in their own ideas enough that they were willing to allow those ideas a fair hearing and the opportunity to improve upon them. We have to believe in our, in our own ideas, in our own ideology, in the legislation that we're putting forward, and allow it to be refined by a very elegant process that allows lots of voices to have input. If we can't do that, we will not be a governing party, and we won't be in the majority for very long. And I, I, so I think this is a moment of truth for us. Mm. It really is. Well, uh, there are a number of people who are walking into that moment for the first time, uh, people who were just elected yesterday. And one of them is Alyssa Slotkin, who defeated uh, incumbent Mike Bishop in Michigan's 8th district. And she's joining us now. Are you talk talking about, about Congresswoman-elect uh, Congresswoman-elect <laughs> Alyssa Slotkin. Alyssa, welcome to Detroit Today. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, l- let's talk first about how you're feeling this morning, uh, given the results. Were you surprised the way... I thought a lot of people uh, seemed to be on social media when uh, when they finally called the race in your favor. Um, you know, it, we always knew this was going to be a really tight race. We've been working this past weekend under the assumption that it would come down to 5,000 votes or less. Uh, I was saying that, and it ended up being closer to 12,000, it looks like, right now. Um, so we always knew it was going to be close, and that's why, at the end of the day, we mobilized a huge field organization. We knocked 200,000 doors and made a, fa- a million calls mm. over the life of this field campaign, and that's what I think made the, di- the difference at the very end. It was always a tough district. So, so let's talk a little about being a Democrat who will be representing a district that Republicans drew purposely to give themselves an advantage what are the ways that you feel that you can connect with voters and now constituents uh, in that district as a as a Democrat without sort of bumping up against uh, the fact that it's probably still a majority majority Republican district? Sure, sure. Yeah. So a couple of things. So I think focusing on the fact that the tone and tenor in Washington. Um, is just fundamentally unbecoming of the country we all love, is something that I think brought a lot of independents and Republicans over to our side, um, and that we just want our government to work, as Dan was saying. And then secondly, you know, I said it in my speech last night, I I don't know if I'm coining it or if I'm bringing it back, but I am going to, I, I consider myself a Midwestern Democrat. And by that, I mean practical, reasonable, willing to work across the aisle to get something done, independently minded, and very focused, laser focused on this idea that every working family has a right um, uh, to a fair shake, no more and no less. And that is different from what is coming out of some other parts of the Democratic Party. I'll be the first to admit it. Hmm. Um, my, da- my dad was a Republican. My mom was a Democrat. My in-laws are very um, devoted Trump voters. Uh, you know, we are purple people here in Michigan. So um, <laughs> even if folks didn't vote for me, I am going to serve them and hopefully earn their trust. So so I want to ask you and uh, Dan Kildee this next question. There is already a lot of argument brewing, I guess, at this point, about who should lead the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives. The obvious candidate is Nancy Pelosi, who was speaker before, is minority leader now. Uh, Alyssa, are you prepared to support Nancy Pelosi to be the next speaker? So, you know, I've said for a long time now that I I never want to be disrespectful to anyone who served, especially a woman who's broken glass ceilings. 
Um, but I just think we need to hear what people are telling us on the ground, which is on both sides of the aisle, they want a new generation of leadership. And so I have said publicly that I would not support um, Nancy Pelosi as our next speaker. Um, and, uh, you know, I stand by that right now. I need to understand who is, you know, running. I've just won last night, working up about two hours of sleep. But uh, to me, uh, you got to stick with your principles. And I said it early and I believe it. Uh, Dan, you have served in Congress while Nancy Pelosi has been the minority leader. Are you prepared to support the idea of her as the next speaker? I think the only condition that would have me do that is if it's clear that this is a transition. and that To not, somebody else? To somebody else. Not just Nancy, but the other uh, two senior most leaders. Steny uh, and, uh, and Jim uh, Clyburn. Clyburn. Uh, that... that it's time. I mean, that it may not be that that time comes in January, but that time needs to come very soon. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but as uh, as uh, the congresswoman-elect said, um, we have to see who's running. Uh, ultimately, we will have a vote in the caucus, and many of us are going to push um, for a real serious conversation about when the change occurs, and it can't just be an amorphous change, an amorphous date. If it's not right now, it has to be has to be uh, relatively soon. Um, but then we'll have a vote on the floor, and you know if it comes down to Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy <laughs> mm-hmm. or Jim Jordan, um, there's not much doubt about where I'll stand. But we'll have a really robust debate within the Democratic caucus and make some decisions about the future of our leadership. I think it's inevitable that we have new leaders, and that that is soon. Uh, I'm not convinced that it's in January, but we'll see. Okay, Alyssa Slotkin, Congresswoman-elect from Michigan's 8th Congressional District. Thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. We'll we'll talk to you again soon, a little more in depth about uh, your ideas and your upcoming trip to Washington. Uh, Okay, again, on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones, that's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Al in Detroit. Al, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Hi um, uh, to your guests as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, okay, so my problem is this, and I, I tried to stay up as best as I could last night, but I'm, I'm a, I am feel I'm getting older um, as these things <laughs> occur. Um, I'm looking at the elections like with work, work and, and the... Um, and uh, Stacey Abrams and in, in the Florida and so forth. And I keep feeling that, yeah, I want a, I want a government that governs and agree with your guests. However, I also know that every time that, and I speak as a Democrat liberal, that we let up on the, on the conservative right, that they feel, they feel is it is a means to let's, let's put it to them. And, I feel mixed after the results today, after looking at the results, if everything stays as it is, because I don't think that the other side wants to work with anyone from the left. I feel as if they, it's just like, mm. yeah, they had all, all the um, cards in their favor, and they wanted to share it out, but now it's like, do we really want to, you know, what can we do? to stay in power. Yeah, Al, that's a really great question. I mean, you do need a partner if you want to compromise. You do need a partner if you want to solve problems in a bipartisan fashion. Does the Democratic Party have a partner, a potential partner in President Trump? Does it have a potential partner in 
people like Ted Cruz, uh, who, who won last night in Texas, running a campaign that was quite cynically, I think, focused on fear-mongering uh, and, and bigotry. Well, you know, I'm one, obviously, I believe there's a fundamental difference between the two parties and particularly, um, you know, in terms of the approach that we take to the big problems that we face as a nation. But Donald Trump's president, I don't like it. I, I didn't vote for him and I would, I think he's wholly unfit for the job. Uh, the Republicans in the Senate have probably picked up a seat or two. So it's a slightly more Republican Senate. I agree with the caller that, you know, we need to assert ourselves and we really do have to question whether we have a partner, but that's something the American people will see. And I think what we can do, if we want to just think tactically about this, I think we put our ideas forward. And I think we pass through the House in as bipartisan a fashion as possible, uh, legislation that we think is important. And if the Senate doesn't take it up, and if the president opposes it, in, in just a precious two years, there's another election. And there's a lot more Republican Senate seats up, and there's a presidential election, and the American people are going to be paying attention. I think one of, the, one of the problems we have as Democrats that Republicans never seem to fall victim to is that we tend not to think about more than one election hmm. at a time. Republicans have been tactically and strategically ahead of us in thinking two and three cycles ahead. I think we need to be, be uh, much more focused on that. And not just assume, okay, now we got this, we're going to have 24 months, let's see what we can get done. Let's think about how we move forward. This is particularly true at the state level, but it's true in Washington as well. Uh, again, Al, thanks for the call. And the question, let's quickly get to Scott and Pontiac. We've only got a couple minutes left, Scott, but I wanted to squeeze you in here. Go ahead. Good morning. Hey. Um, I'm just poor working Joe out here. I don't make a ton of money. And uh, the president gave us a tax cut. It equals up to about $1,500 a year for me. Uh, a year ago, my wife had a really hard stroke. I'm taking a lot of medical bills, stuff like that. Um, I know Nancy Pelosi called it crumbs, and uh, but I need those crumbs. Are you in support? Are you going to uh, uh, support t- uh, repealing those tax breaks? Scott, that's a great question. Thanks very much for the call. Uh, would you would you repeal the tax cuts that were passed, uh, uh, I think, two years ago now? Well, I certainly wouldn't vote to repeal any help that someone uh, who got a $1,400 tax break would, would get. No way would I vote to repeal that. But 85% of that tax break went to the richest 1% of Americans. Uh, I'm going to take a look at that. If, if somebody who's making $100 million a year who got millions of dollars of tax relief and had it paid for by increased premiums so that the very health care that the caller is struggling to get is going to go up much greater than a $1,400 tax cut might cost. I mean, you got to look at more than just one aspect of this. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to take a look at the tax policy. But I'm certainly not going to do it on the backs of somebody who's struggling to make ends meet with a health care issue. And do you think uh, that, that Republicans will be open to the idea of maybe slicing through some of those tax cuts, saying these are good and these make sense, but these others don't? What tells you that uh, that they'll do that? We've got about 30 seconds. I could give you a more political question or answer to that, but no, <laughs> I, I don't think right now they will be. I think they uh, – they, uh, 
they're going to try to defend all of these tax cuts as much as they can. They were talking before the election that if they held the House, they were going to push through more yeah. tax cuts. Well, I mean, and if, the, if it's about uh, working people, let's have that conversation. The people at the very top have much more of the wealth that we generate than they ever have since the beginning of the, of the 20th century. That's not right. Okay, Dan Kildee, congratulations again Thank on you. your re-election yesterday. And, of course, thanks for joining us here on Detroit Today. My pleasure. We'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.